Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Thrive Church, a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. Hey everybody, so good to be together. Welcome to Thrive Online today. We're so glad that you're with us. We're so glad that we're together as a community. We are better together. Man, what a week we've had as a country, as a nation, hey? It has been one of those weeks that I think actually was a defining moment, a defining time, a defining season in our country. Uh, If you're feeling traumatized and shell-shocked as a result of this last week, uh, I'm here to encourage you today. We're going to respond and we're going to learn how to respond today and we're going to look at how it is that you and I can respond meaningfully as a church. As a pastor in these moments... um, With a week like what we've just had, it's always hard to know how to respond and what for for me, what do I say to you in this moment? We're going to take a few moments and respond today. I think the first thing that I want to invite us to do is right where you are, to invite you to stand with me. Let's stand together, and you know it's symbolic actually, uh, because we're standing as a nation together. So there's something about standing and being present with each other standing. We're streaming live, obviously, in the auditorium at the moment. Wasn't it good to worship again and have the team worshiping? And uh, so there are a few people in the auditorium, and we're all standing, and I wanna invite you to have your hand on your heart with me today, and let's trust God to do something incredible in our nation. First thing we're gonna do is have a moment of silence. Hands on hearts, wherever you are, maybe in front of the TV, you've got your family around you, whether you're uh, watching in your bedroom, wherever it might be, let's stand and have a moment of silence for our nation, just as a sign of respect for those who've lost their lives this week. And then we're going to respond further after that. So join with me. Let's stand together and have a few moments of silence. Father, as a community all around the world, Thrive Online, we give you our hearts today. We surrender our hearts to you. We lift our hearts up to you. We're grateful for your presence in our lives. We're grateful for the good people in our nation who have stood together, stood together in this week. And we pray that you would bless our land. We We pray for our president. We pray for our government. Lord, your word reminds us, commands us to pray for those in authority. We do that in this moment. We ask for wisdom and for strength for them. We pray for every citizen in our land, man and woman, young and old, to nation build, 
to do the small thing that we can do in our community to build our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. So church, we're gonna stand in this moment. We're gonna have a moment of silence and pray as we've done. We're also going to respond practically and sacrificially. We've been hard at work over the last few days uh, trying to understand in the areas in Gauteng particularly that have been badly affected by the riots and looting, what the most urgent need is. And those people that we've been talking to on the ground in the know, uh, they're saying to us that bread security, food security is the most paramount and urgent need at this stage. And so what we're gonna do is we are going to invest as a church by buying bread ovens. One bread oven costs about 108,000 rand. We wanna be buying some bread ovens. This is gonna be us as a church coming together and giving sacrificially over and above our tithes, over and above our offerings. We're gonna be wanting to invest into bakeries that are in the hard hit areas that now need to produce so much more bread than before. And the reason they need to is because spaza shops and all sorts of places close by in the community have been burnt down. And so not only is the supply of bread an issue, but the actual ability to, 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 to get enough to sell is an issue. People don't know where to go to buy. And the need is urgent. And so as a community, our leadership decided we're gonna invest into the infrastructure, into the entrepreneurial activity of communities. We're gonna invest into bakeries that we know about that need a bread oven, and we're gonna increase their capacity. It's gonna be sustainable. It's gonna be something that going forward will stay in those communities. We're gonna nation build. We're gonna build our nation in this time. We're not simply gonna provide short-term relief. We're gonna provide sustainable solutions and increase the capacity for food for our people. So we're asking you in this moment to invest, to sow and invest. You'll see the QR code will be on the screen for SnapScan. The Food Relief Fund bank details are on the screen right now. And we, I'm gonna ask you to take a picture of it. And in the next day or two, the need is urgent. We're gonna ask you to give sacrificially. We're gonna ask you to stretch your hearts and stretch your wallets and stretch your budgets and stretch out of your comfort zone and let's come together. And anything over and above what we need for the food ovens, we're gonna get uh, bread, we're gonna get food, we're gonna get that delivered to places that have an urgent supply need. And so we respond by standing and praying. We're gonna respond by giving sacrificially and generously. And of course, Mandela Day is, being re, going to be re, it is being rescheduled. Keep a lookout for when that'll happen. We're gonna give blood. We're gonna do the things. We are a church that does the things. Lastly, on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, 21st of July, we are gonna fast. Means you can fast the whole day food, you could fast a meal, two meals, you could fast coffee, you could fast social media, you could fast Netflix, you could fast anything that matters to you and costs you. We're gonna come together as a church and we're gonna fast on Wednesday. And the scripture says that if God's people will turn and fast and pray, God hears. I firmly believe, turning onto a more positive note, I firmly believe that the future of our nation is dependent upon the strength of our civic societies and our churches. And I believe with all of my heart that the church that prayed this week, that was the catalyst and the cause for our nation standing together. 
citizens coming together to guard the shopping malls and to, to stand together and to, to help each other and to clean up and to protect each other. Guess what? It was the church that prayed. And so we're going to be a praying church, we're going to be a giving church, we're going to be a responding church, and we're going to call the greatness that's in each and every single one of us out, and God is going to do amazing things in our nation. In the meantime, our nation continues to increase its vaccinations. I saw a letter from Discovery just this last, yesterday in fact, where the CEO told us that over 170,000 people a day are being vaccinated at the moment. And that's been going for the last two weeks or so. So it's great to see the vaccination drive improving and increasing. And we will emerge from this third wave stronger as a nation with something built into the fabric of our society. We're gonna be praying for foreign investors and CEOs and boards of companies and businesses to multinationals and foreign nationals to invest into our country. And our country will emerge from this greater than it ever was before. Can you say some amens in the chats and let's do the things. Let's get into the word today as we do so. We launch a brand new series. It's called Yet I Will. Yet I Will. Come, would you join with me and let's pray together. Father, take your word today. May it burn itself onto our souls. May it lift our eyes, lift our faith, lift our hearts, and may it form us at the deepest part of us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. We start today by telling you about a man called Alan Gardner. Alan Gardner was an English missionary, a British missionary. He one day, in, on a fateful day in 1851, was on his way to South America. His ship got shipwrecked off the south, southernmost coast of South America. Him and his colleagues landed on a deserted island. They had no food, they had no water, and gradually, one by one, Alan Gardner and his colleagues died of hunger and thirst. Alan himself was the last man to survive. He literally watched around him. He watched his colleagues die of hunger. He watched them drop dead in front of his eyes. Eventually, he too succumbed to the hunger and the thirst. But when they found his body, next to his body, they found his journal. It was a little personal journal that he had kept. And they found it, and they found the words in his journal. Guess what the words of his journal said? First, he had written out Psalm 34, verse 10. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. That's what he'd written out in his journal. And then they noticed the, the line below it said this. He said this. He wrote in his journal, I am overwhelmed by the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. There he was, church, literally dying of starvation, his body broken, his dream of being a missionary shattered, overwhelmed with the goodness of God. You know, I think our culture teaches us I think the world around us teaches us this. God is good if good things happen to you and me. We infer, we read the goodness of God in our lives dependent upon whether good things have happened to us. If good things happen, God's good. If bad things happen, God must be bad, God must be absent, God must have taken a nap. And here's the thing, our 
circumstances dictate whether or not God is good. That's what our culture teaches us. And yet we see a man called Alan Gardner, who in 1851 watched his colleagues, the men around him, die of hunger. He himself succumbed to hunger with a desperate situation. Everything had fallen apart, and yet the man sits and he writes his last words. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Here's the thing for us to really take note of today. Alan Gardner did not infer. Alan Gardner did not import or read the goodness of God in his life dependent upon the outside circumstances. Alan must have got in touch with the goodness of God directly. His reading of the goodness of God was not dependent upon whether things were going well because, I mean, it was awful. The question you and I must ask when we listen to a story like that is this. Is it possible to live like he lived? Is it possible to live like Alan Gardner with a sense, an overwhelming sense of the goodness of God despite what may happen? I'm praying that for you and for me in this moment and in this season. We can live with an, here's the thing, uh, the phrase will be on the, we can live with an internal world that is not completely dependent upon the external world. Let me say it again. We can live with an internal world, what's going on inside of us, not dependent upon the external world only. Like Alan, we can get in touch directly with the goodness of God, and we can be overwhelmed. It's almost like living like that is hidden treasure, isn't it? It's like the Holy Grail. I think it's what our culture desperately, desperately wants and hungers and thirsts for. Not only is it possible because a man like called Alan Gardner lived like that, it's possible because we see an example in Scripture. There was a man who lived like Alan Gardner. There was a man who had an internal world that was not only dependent upon the external world. His name was Habakkuk. He was an Old Testament prophet. You can read his writings. You can read about his internal world in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Just check it out in the uh, kind of index of your Bible because it's not an easy book to find. And Habakkuk writes this beautiful three chapters he, he, he recounts his wrestle with God. Here's what was going on. Israel had strayed far away from God. Habakkuk was disturbed by it. He looks at the evil of his people. He looks at their continued sin against God, and he cries out to God, and he says, God, how is it possible that your people have fallen so far? And God responds to him and says, Habakkuk, chill. All's gonna be well, I'm gonna allow the Babylonians to come and to take these people into captivity. The Babylonians are gonna come and they are going to punish Israel. They're gonna be an agent of punishment for the sin of this nation. 
Habakkuk freaks out in chapter two. He goes, God, that, that, that can't be right. Surely you can't mean, surely you can't intend for your people to be subject to an evil nation like them. That's not right. It doesn't seem right that a pagan nation would come and, and inflict humiliation on your people. God, can't you do it yourself? Why do you wanna use the Babylonians? And God responds to him and says, yes, though they may be cruel. Yes, I'm using them as an agent, but don't worry, it's not permanent. There will be a restoration amongst the people of Israel. And, and it goes backwards and forwards between God and Habakkuk and eventually, he gets to a place where he's settled. And in chapter three, he writes some of the most moving, most faithful, powerful verses in scripture. And it is from those verses that our series called Yet I Will emerges. It's like these three words leapt off the page to us. I'm gonna read them together. It's found in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, Chapter three, verses 17 to 19. So let's get it and let's read it together. It will be on the screen for you. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty. We could take this to 21st century South Africa in the last week and say, even though the looters have stolen everything, even though the arsonists have burnt down the malls, even though the centers of the town look trashed and destroyed, and though the shops that sell bread have burnt down. Verse 18. Yet I will. What will he do? He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. And that's where Habakkuk leaves the text. Powerful, powerful words. The reason why they're powerful for us today, church, is because Habakkuk writes these in the midst of a sense of everything having fallen apart. This wasn't a bad year in Israel's history. This wasn't even a bad season like what we're having. This was their society had fallen apart at the seams. I mean, no figs, no grapes, no nothing growing in the fields, no livestock, no sheep, no cat. I mean, it was a catastrophe, and you might have felt this last week, like what we've been through has been a catastrophe. And right in the midst of that, that catastrophe happening, he writes these words, yet I will. What's so powerful about them is they're an acknowledgement that all is not perfect, that stuff has happened 
that God, though this, the fields lie desolate and though the figs have no blossoms and though the gra- there's no vine, grapes from the vines, I will. He lifts his eyes and he makes a declaration of faith. And that is who we will be, thrive. I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Here's how we do it. We're gonna follow the model that Habakkuk gives us. You see, in these three chapters of wrestle with God, there's something very profound going on. There's three words that I wanna offer you today. One is the result of what happens with the previous two. The first word we're gonna look at is reflect. The second word is we're gonna remember. And then the third word is restoration. Three R's, because at the end of the day, I'm a preacher. If they don't have start all the same words, it doesn't count. So <laughs> reflect, remember, and restore. When we reflect and when we remember, God restores. What does he restore? He doesn't restore the external world around us. He restores the internal world. What are we gonna do? We're gonna reflect firstly. What are we gonna reflect on? We're gonna reflect on who God is. I love it, because verse three, Habakkuk starts get, getting going in verse three of chapter three. It's the final chapter. He's starting to turn the corner. He goes, verse three, the Holy One, he moves across the deserts. He starts to say, his brilliant splendor fills the heavens. Verse four, his presence is like a sunrise. If you've ever seen a sunrise, if you've ever sat over the ocean as the sun has come up and you watch how the entire land starts to get filled with the light of the sun, this is what Habakkuk is doing. He is reflecting on who God is. He's looking at the wonder of God, the splendor of God, the majesty of God, the beauty of God. He tells us in verse six, When God stops, the earth shakes. And when he looks, nations tremble. He reflects on who God is. Who is he? He's beautiful. He's powerful. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. He's righteous. He's just. He is all-encompassing. He's always present everywhere at every moment. And he starts to reflect on who God is. It's what helps him turn the corner. Can I suggest to you today what will help you turn the corner in your internal world is when you take a moment and reflect on who God is. You know, church, the only way for you and I to have a sense and to be able to reflect meaningfully and authentically and actually for it to make some difference in us, the only way for us to reflect on who God is is if we get to know him. You can't reflect on who God is simply by reading words about who, you've got to get to know him. The only way to get to know him is to know his words. It's to draw near and to listen to him. It's, it's to hear from him. It's to hear not only about him, but to hear from him. It is to enter into a friendship with God. You've got to get to know him. There's a measure of intimacy that Habakkuk has here. You see, he's been wrestling with God, just like Jacob wrestled the angel. He wrestled until daybreak, until he, found, until he found his blessing, until he, he was satisfied that he was gonna be blessed. Habakkuk does the same thing. He wrestles with God, and the wrestle speaks of intimacy, and it speaks of vulnerability, and he goes backwards and forwards, and he questions God, and he's angry with God, and then he eventually, he says, God, I acknowledge The only way you can reflect on who God is is if you're getting to know him. I remember in my early teen years, I fell in love with a song called Losing My Religion by the band R.E.M. 
Some of you may know the song, know the band. It's an incredibly catchy tune and the lyrics are so moving and so meaningful. For years I felt guilty about knowing the song and loving the song and even singing the lyrics because uh, the lyrics talk about losing my religion and I felt guilty until I found out what the song was actually about. Guess what? It has nothing to do with losing your religion. The song was written by Michael Stipe, who's the lead singer and lyricist of the band. Guitarist brought him this catchy little riff that he had played on his mandolin. Uh, such a catchy tune. He brought it to him and said, Michael, could you put some lyrics to this? What do you think? And next day he came back and the lyrics were there. And the verse goes, that's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight. Losing my religion. Trying to keep up with you. And I don't know if I can do it. Oh no, I've said too much not said enough. The song is actually about a young man who goes to a high school dance. He's a shy young man and he stands in the shadows. And right towards the end of the evening, he plucks up the courage to emerge out of the shadows into the spotlight of the dance floor. And he walks up to the young lady that he's got the hots for and he asks her to dance. And in the southern part of the U.S. where the band is from, there's a saying for when you feel like the whole world is watching you, when you feel like so embarrassed and like South Africans we would call it when you feel blind, you know, like when you feel blind, where you just feel like, yes, everybody's, the eyes of the world are on me at the moment and feel so embarrassed. And it's the story of this young man who comes out of the shadows into the spotlight of the dance floor and he comes up to the young lady and asks her to dance and he awaits his response. And in the southern parts of the US, they say, while he was waiting for her response, while he's hanging on tenterhooks, the saying is, I'm losing my religion here. I feel so embarrassed, I feel so vulnerable, I feel so exposed. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight. Losing my religion. Now, I don't know if I can do it. I'm trying to keep up with you. I don't know if I can do it. I know I've said too much, maybe not said enough. As he waits for her reply. Have you asked God to dance? Have you put yourself out there with him? Have you come out of the shadows, stood in the spotlight and said, God, here I am. We've got to get to know him, draw near to him, ask God to dance. Second word, is to remember. To remember what? Remember what God has done. I love Habakkuk's faithful statement because in verse six he says this, he goes, God, you shattered mountains, you leveled hills, you parted seas, you sent chariots of salvation. God, look at what you've done. Verse 13, you've rescued your chosen people. You've crushed the heads of the wicked. God, look at what you've done. Church, let's be a nation that remembers. In 1994, God brought our nation out of crisis. He brought our nation from a knife edge 
into a new democracy. What God has done before, he can do again. And just as the church stood up and prayed, and good men and women all over our country stood up, prayed, put communities of reconciliation together, worked for peace, guess what? The same thing is happening in our nation, and the same thing will happen in our nation. Remember what God has done. Let's not just remember what he's done as a nation for us, but let's remember what he's done personally. There's an exercise for you to do in this moment, even while you're listening to me. You know what will lift you? I love what Amy said to us, gratitude. Just, it'll lift you. Write down on your phone, on your notes, wherever you are, or however you're responding, write down five things that God has done for you in the last year. You won't struggle when you think of the food on your table, or the clothes on your back, the roof over your head. When you think of the loved ones in your life, when you think of the job that you go to, when you think of the sunrise that you looked at the other day, when you look at the garden that you, you have, when you look at the health in your body, when you look at all of what God has given you, it'll lift your gaze, it'll lift your eyes. And so Habakkuk, he reflects on who God is, and then he remembers what God has done. Guess what? The result was it restored his faith. Reflecting, remembering equals restoring. It restored his faith such that he can pen those magnificent words that we read earlier. Though the fig trees have no blossoms, though the vines have no grapes, though the ground lies desolate, though there be no sheep in the pen or cattle in the fields, yet I will rejoice. I will be joyful in the God of my Salvation. How does he do that? How does he live like that? How does that happen? It happens because he reflected on who God is. Beautiful, long-suffering, kind, merciful, righteous, just, patient, all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing. And he remembered what God had, did, had done for them as a nation. And his faith was restored. Can I suggest to you today, the most powerful thing you can do to restore any faith you may have lost this last week is to reflect on who God is. He's beautiful, he's kind, he sees, he knows. And while God never orchestrates evil, there are moments and times when he allows it, but he's always at work. And then we remember what God has done and guess what, your faith will be restored. Reflecting and remembering leads to restoration. And the book of Habakkuk ends with those beautiful verses that we just read. But it didn't start there. It started with angst. It started with anxiety. It started with anger. It started with bitterness. Chapter one is a vent. Chapter one is a wrestle. And all throughout the book, then there's this to and fro. And it ends with those magnificent words. How does it start with angst and end with words of hope and restoration of faith? The circumstances didn't change. God, we know, doesn't change. The only thing that changed was Habakkuk himself. He changed. How? He reflected on who God is, remembered what God had done, and his faith was restored. And he declares these three words, yet I will. Back to the question I posed at the beginning. When we read the story of Alan Gardner, whose interior world 
internal world didn't, wasn't correlated to his external world, who could say God is good. I'm overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God despite the fact that he was dying of starvation. Let me ask the question again. Is it possible to live like that? Well, I've shown you there was a man called Alan Gardner who lived like that. I've shown you there was a man in scripture called Habakkuk who lived like that. I wanna fast forward thousands of years and tell you about a man that I know and so many of you know who lived like that, who lives like that. Many of you will know Pastor Donovan could say he was the previous national leader of our group of churches. Many of you have heard Pastor Donovan preach many times. What some of you may not know that is, is that in March last year, just as COVID hit our country, he got hit with a, an even greater challenge personally. He got hit with a challenge of cancer, got diagnosed with lymphoma, a very aggressive, fast-moving uh, blood cancer. And for the last 16 months, he's been battling cancer. Went for one round of, or one type of chemotherapy, went for two rounds of chemotherapy, went for a third type of chemotherapy. He's now on the fourth different variety of chemotherapy because all of the other ones didn't work. But he phoned me about a month ago after he went for his first jab of the vaccine. He says to me, you will not believe what happened to me. I walked out of the, the vaccination station. I was just walking to my car. Patricia and I were walking to my car. And all of a sudden, in a moment, I just felt like I was baptized in joy. From the top of my head to the tips of my toes, I just felt baptized covered, immersed in joy. A man who's not only trying to keep his immune system working in the midst of chemotherapy, who's now trying to get a vaccine for COVID and trying quite frankly to survive, the external world is anything but perfect. Yet his internal world was baptized with joy. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. And like Habakkuk, Pastor Donovan could say, I rejoice in the God of my salvation, not because life is easy, perfect, or good at the moment, but because my internal world is not dependent on the external world. I find that massively challenging. I find that hugely challenging. How did it happen? Months and months and months of chemotherapy, reflecting on who God is, remembering what God has done, restored his faith. It is possible to live like that.
the only way to do it, though, is to have a friendship with Jesus. There is no way on planet Earth to live with your internal world, not dependent on your external world, other than to know the baptizer in joy. Scripture tells us, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but one who will come who is greater than me, and he will baptize you with the Spirit. Today, wherever you're watching, my invitation to you is to make a decision to follow Jesus. You may never have made a decision to follow Jesus ever before. Today is your day. Because when you do, you'll come to know that it's possible to live like that. It's possible to live like he lived. But you've got to make a decision to follow him, to open your life to him, to open your heart and say, Lord, I'd, I want you as Lord of my life. I want you as my Savior and as my Lord. I realize the way I live my life is never going to do it. It's never going to cut it. But when you enter my life, Jesus, hell can break loose around me and heaven can reign inside of me. So maybe for you today, it's the first time. Maybe you're watching today though and truth be told, you've drifted and life has taken you on some weird and wonderful paths. But today you're finding your way home back. Be my privilege to pray for you too. So for those of you who in this moment want to make a decision to follow Jesus, be my privilege to pray for you. Simply WhatsApp the words, follow Jesus. That's how we're going to do it in the spiritual world. Just WhatsApp, follow Jesus to the number on the screen right now. And I want to include you in my prayer. Let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you that when we approach the God of heaven, we say Father first. That's the way you taught us to pray, Jesus. That there is a loving Father in heaven who welcomes his kids home. For each and every one of us today who are making a decision to follow Jesus, we ask that you would cleanse us and forgive us from where we've gone wrong and what we've done wrong and the paths that we've taken that have not been helpful, that have been destructive. To come, Lord, and cleanse us of us. And thank you for your blood shed on the cross. It was the only agent on planet Earth that could cleanse us. Thank you, Jesus, for your spirit which enters our lives and begins to live and breathe inside of us, fills us with hope and joy and makes us the people who can live with joy despite what's going on. In this moment, we make a decision to follow you, place our faith and our hope in you, surrender our lives to you and invite you in and say, come Jesus, take the wheel, have my life in Jesus' name. Amen. And churches, we head into this week. We're gonna be people who respond generously and sacrificially. In the next day or so, please invest quickly, generously, sacrificially. Each one of us, each one of us, come on. Let's give towards food security. Let's buy bread ovens. 
Let's get families fed. Wednesday, we fast. We turn our eyes to him and we trust him for breakthrough. May grace and peace be yours in abundance this week. We hope you have been blessed and helped by this message. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.thrivechurch.co.za.